Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. If it's Monday and it's the postseason, it's a Baseball America playoff podcast. John Manuel and J.J. Cooper with you here. Still more baseball to talk about, J.J. That's the best part about it. Uh, World Series Game 6 coming up. That's right. Baseball uh, World Series Game 6 coming up. Uh, Over the weekend, we did not podcast. We have three games to kind of chew on. (laughs) And, J.J., really, uh, to me, the story of this World Series remains, uh, I guess it depends on how you want to look at it, but for me, just the the consistent uh, inability of the Chicago Cubs to get off offensively, to explode offensively, to put consistent at bats together offensively, and I think, uh, do you? I mean, it really doesn't matter where the blame goes. But I do think it's fifty uh, percent the Indians pitching, which has been outstanding. Maybe a little bit more than fifty percent, but I do think part of it is the consistent uh, uh, inability to have an approach by a lot of Cubs hitters, which just seems like their approach comes and goes. And after Game Five, I almost wonder if the hottest hitter after Anthony Rizzo is Jason Hayward because he had a couple of good at bats last night. It really, it's, and it's Kyle all, Schwarber it's, who's been waiting to you know in hibernation. Well, that's the, that's the thing. How much I mean, he is going to come in DH in Game Six and potentially Game Seven. I mean, what what kind of legend would this guy be if okay he comes out? They won the one game without him. Now he get on my back, boys, and he carries them to Game Six and Seven. Of course, that at the same time, you could also argue that the the game that they won with them. You know, was Trevor Bauer, right? right? Which is the other consistency. Right. Trevor Bauer was good for three innings last night. In the fourth inning, he wasn't good. I tell you, my son uh, was getting ready to go to sleep, and as soon as a Bryant hit the home run, and the next pitch Rizzo doubled, and my son was just like, "Why isn't the bullpen active? Why isn't somebody else coming in right now?" And he kind of was right because even though Bauer righted himself, and that two of the hits after that were a bunt single and a swinging bunt. Uh, you know that's that's really almost all it took for the Cubs to get two more runs, a couple other good at bats, and the Indians uh, fell behind, and Aroldis Chapman uh, made sure they stayed behind. Right, and that was the thing that stood out to me from yesterday, which I was obviously tweeting about during the game. But I, I did not understand how it was kind of treated. Wow, they've gone to you know Chapman's going to have to work almost three innings, two and two thirds innings, like this was going to be some death-defying feat for him. Which right. This well, is, clearly there's a narrative in the media of covering this World Series, number one, which I don't, under, I don't think it's unfounded, but that Andrew Miller greater than Chapman, A. B, it's easy to root against the world as Chapman, and mm-hmm. I understand why. I uh, totally sympathize with that. But uh, the third part of that is that Terry Francona has outmanaged Joe Madden at every turn. So there was just a lot of, in my Twitter feed among the national writers who are covering this World Series, there was just every instinct to doubt that move and to, to downplay that move and to think that that move was the wrong move. Whereas I think if the situation had been reversed, everyone would have thought, oh, brilliant move by Francona. That's just built into the analysis. And which is, which seemed, again, it seemed weird to me because yeah. Chapman is a guy who is a premium athlete. Yes. Probably one of the most athletic pitchers in baseball. I mean, I would say he's the most yeah, athletic I, pitcher. That's a fair way to – because you're – his 103, 104 comes from he is a quick twitch guy. He's as he's I'm, the definition of high pockets as right. a body. He's athletic. He's a former starter. Yeah. This was a guy who was a starter in Cuba. This was a guy who was a starter in the minor leagues. It's not something where you say, oh, we're going to ask you to go 45 pitches. Can right. you handle that? 
Again. This isn't some stiff guy who just powers through his delivery to throw hard. There's nothing stiff about right. anything or oldest Chapman does. Uh, if you get to the game seven and you need him in the sixth, you put him in the sixth and because I'm not saying you do this in game six because you gotta win two, but in game seven, again, if it gets to a game seven, they're going Kyle, you know, they're going Hendricks, I would assume. And yes. then Hendricks and whatever time you need him, you go to Chapman and I do think it's somewhat like Bumgarner in Game 7 two years ago where you say, when, you, when we need to go somewhere else, we'll go somewhere else. But the reality of it is, is that the rest of this Cubs bullpen, which should be a strength, but the rest of this Cubs bullpen has not been particularly impressive in this World Series. Well, here's the thing is, what, um, how often have we seen Hector Rondon or Pedro Strope in the playoffs at all? And why is it that... Instead of seeing Strope or Rondone, especially Strope, who's experienced, who's been good all year. I know every reliever has their ups and downs, but I think Pedro Strope's pretty good. I think Rondone's pretty good, too. But why are Rondone, we seeing yeah, Carl Rondone. Edwards Jr. in the seventh inning? And that was – so I understand why there's criticism of Joe Madden. That was a bizarrely managed inning. First, you're going to go to two rookies and Edwards Jr. and Contreras at the same time. Two, that you're going to pinch it. Montero, but you don't leave him in the catch for Ross. Which basically at this point, apparently Montero is is uh, is just a pinch hitter. Yeah, he's like Schwarber with with, with knees that work. Apparently, <laughs> and without as good of a swing, although he's had some good swings in this postseason. So that was bizarre all the way around. Why would you burn him and not have the other catcher? Because part of Contreras' charm and utility is that he's versatile. So it, it, everything that I thought, everything Joe Madden did in that inning was making things harder for Especially the Cubs to was, win, except was. for bringing in Chapman. That was the one smart move he made, and he seemed like he got criticized for all of them. I, I think the Chapman move was a smart one. It's pretty easy to separate it from the bad moves he made. The other thing that was on that was is that the fact that uh, I do at some point it's like, okay, when are we going to see Schwarber? Because <laughs> That the, the was also was, stunning. The one that was, and again, I understand that John Lester is an ace who also is – Let's just describe him at this point as finicky. He's an ornery. He's an ornery sort. You know, and I by, by that I mean, like, we had David Ross come up in a blow-the-game-open situation. And he got him, he got the sack fly RBI. I still liked leaving Ross in no. at that point, not just because of Lester, but because he has shown throughout the postseason, even if he's not a great hitter, he gives you a good approach. He gives you quality at bats. So that doesn't mean that the result's going to work, but his process is a quality process. I would not have pinched it for but, him in the fourth inning. But I know, and it was the fourth. I mean, that... I'm anti-Jonah Carey on but, that one. Jonah and Alex Cora went back and forth but, on Twitter on that but one. The thing to I was be, on Team Cora. The thing to be, to be about that, though, is, is it almost led to a very interesting decision. Because let's say that Ross didn't come through there. Because, again, he got the run. Right. And once he gets the run, then then it's like, okay, well, John Lester's up. We, you know, we've got a lead. That's different. But if Ross had not come through, then it would have led to a very interesting decision. Because with two outs and basically the bases loaded... Do you let you probably still would let Lester hit there? But yes. that would have been a I would have because John Lester is paid. Right. Part of it is you already had to lead. It was two, two oh one. or yeah, two, two one. one, I think. Two yeah, one two one we already had the, two one because yeah. yeah. I would have left Lester in, uh, because that is the whole point of John Lester. Right. He's not Kyle Hendricks, he's not even Jake Arietta, he's right. not John Lackey, he's John Lester. 
So I understand all the pro pinch hit Schwarber arguments there. I'm still on the side of oh, Ross and Lester being left in, and it did work out. But I, I am, for the, but the thing that, I, and I, sorry, but I later got, in the I got game, sidetracked. Yeah. I, it does baffle me though that we saw Miguel Montero pinch hit, and we yes. never saw Kyle Schwarber. That, that, absolutely, and that so so there are a couple of weird things. I will say that Rondon pitched fairly ineffectively in the division series, mm-hmm. and he pitched two innings, gave up three hits in the LCS. Strope also gave up two runs and three innings in the LCS, right. but he was used four times. But still, it just seems very strange that Carl Edwards Jr. is the guy that they're trusting there and not Strope or Rondon. But I do feel like right now that Joe Madden kind of feels like he has a reliever that he really believes in. Yeah, because well, Strope, Strope's gotten four outs in this series, and two of them were via strikeout and doesn't use him. Rondon hasn't been as effective. But for me, Edwards but it, but versus Edwards, Strope, it's... There's no question. Edwards lost you the one nothing game. He missed his spot by a foot and a half to Coco Crisp, left a fastball that was supposed to be located away on the inner half. I mean, his fastball, this is the reason I loved him so much as a prospect in A-ball. His fastball has incredible life, so much so that even Wilson Contreras, who can snag 102 that's bounced like it's nothing, he couldn't handle that cutter uh, going away at 94 great, or whatever Great tweet it was. from John Baker, former catcher, and yeah, now reports yeah. the coverization is like, no, the spawn of Johnny Bench and Yadier Molina that was does awesome. not catch that. That was a great. That was a great. Uh, that was a great tweet. But so Edward's stuff is so lively. I get it, but I just don't trust him as much as I trust Strope. And I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not there seeing it every day. This is clearly not just Joe Madden's call. Chris Basio, I'm sure, has a large say in this. I wouldn't be surprised if Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod have some input into that decision. But it's it's still been a stunning decision. But, that would have been that would be on a workout day today, this travel day. That would be what I would be asking Joe Madden about. Stay to your bullpen. Who do you trust and why? And I'm not, I don't know how much he's going to give up on that. But I would want to know what he says for public consumption. Kicking it to looking. So we're we're sitting here. It is the travel day, and then we have game six and maybe game seven. And so what we know is is that we have essentially game six. If you're the Cubs, this is how you. You set this up, you, you feel like that you should have the advantage in game six on the pitching mound, on the mound. You, you should. It hasn't should, worked that but way. It hasn't, yeah. it hasn't worked that way. But again, when you talk about... This would be Tomlin and Hendricks, correct? Tomlin and... No, this would be Tomlin and Arietta okay. with Hendricks in game seven. Arietta on full rest, basically, versus short rest Tomlin. Again, logically you would think, but then Josh Tomlin, I, that goes back to Cubs approach. Right. I mean, Josh Tomlin has, I mean, the, the short version of the approach has been uh, the pitching in the postseason is different than pitching in the regular season. Pitching in the postseason means shorter leads for starting pitchers and a whole lot more breaking balls. You know, And that's the and thing that the Cubs, right that's now, where they've struggled. I, I, I say semi-jokingly, but if you, if you threw, if you didn't throw the ball, if a pitcher balked, <laughs> but he got into, the, into a curveball or slider <laughs> motion... Javi would Javier Baez swing. swing? Yes. yes. Javi Baez would swing. I mean, There's no question about there it. There is, right now, if you have a catcher behind, again, this comes back to approach. But he's, right, got, he's got nine strikeouts and 21 at-bats in the World Series so far. And it, I feel like every single one of them has come on a breaking ball that is so far out of the zone well, that the, you have no hope to swing. Well, the or, thing check, is, or a check swing. No, he I'm can, wondering, he's like, what? Well, he goes 0-2 on breaking ball, breaking ball, and swings, at a high, yeah. swings through a high fastball a lot of the times, too. Yeah. So they've got him totally discombobulated. And, uh, you know, he, he's he got who put together great at bats early on in the playoffs? Well, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, he even early in the playoffs, he was still swinging very mm-hmm. aggressively. He was still being extremely aggressive. You know, the Indians, to their credit, 
A, they've executed better. B, they've game-planned extremely well. They game-planned better than the Dodgers or Nationals did against uh, Javi Baez. But not and, just Baez. I mean, you could... But against the whole team. And they have been all in True. on more off-speed stuff, which the, the Dodgers did to some effect. But their bullpen, not nearly as good as the Indians' bullpen. And, you know, the Indians have been opportunistic early in games offensively. But to also give them credit, because if you are going with a breaking ball heavy approach, you have to execute those breaking balls. Yeah. Even, you, you either That's have right. to make, you have to either locate them, or if you miss, you have to miss in a way. You can't hang it. You can miss where you miss and it's way out of the zone. But they've done that. They have, there have been very few. Easily hittable. Oh, you got to hit that breaking ball. Breaking yeah, ball. Yeah, not, not a lot of ton, not a ton of hangers they've been able to bang. Uh, even the pitch before the fastball that Bryant hit out was a hittable breaking ball. But even then, he took it. Mm-hmm. But Trevor Trevor Bauer threw, I thought, better breaking ball. But the other part of it is you still have to locate the fastball, and that's the separator. Is that Bauer doesn't locate the fastball. Tomlin and Kluber do. Brian Shaw does. And locating the fact, even in Cody Allen. Cody Allen was really good uh, last night in Game 5, in, in a game where he was fresh and kept the Cubs right at bay. Well, so. and, I mean, the other thing you got to think of that did come out of that game was, if you're the Indians, is now you have Andrew Miller. <laughs> you have Andrew Miller ready and waiting Certainly. for Game 6, where <laughs> deploy the Miller in whatever inning you need to deploy. But, I mean, yeah, but, but these two teams, I mean, pitching really has been the story. The Indians have a 315 on base and a 236 batting average in this series. The Cubs are hitting 210 with a 281 batting average so far in the World Series. They have a 327 ERA and they're losing three games to two. Um, JJ, coming into the World Series, I did think that Corey Kluber could be one of the, for the general fan, could be a breakout star. I didn't realize that. I know starters have started games one, four, and seven. Starters have won uh, a couple of games. I think we had uh, Bumgarner with two wins and a save in 2014. Right. But we haven't had a starting pitcher start and win three games in the World Series since Mickey Lolich in 1968. And basically, to do that, you're essentially generally talking about one, four, seven. That's right. So um, I mean, I know we've had. I believe Randy Johnson won two games in 2001 and then won game three in relief in game seven because Randy Johnson, um, total freak of nature. But right now, I mean, I think you look at the Indians, uh, again, the matchup does, I think, favor the Cubs with Arietta. I, w- I would favor the Cubs at, at any start that doesn't include Kluber on the mound, frankly. But all the Indians had to do, in my mind, was win one without Kluber and he threw 81 pitches. Now, say Lester said last night that he was done after six innings. That he told Joe Madden, 90 pitches, I grinded every single pitch. He was done. Corey Kluber's throwed 88 and 81 in his two starts. Uh, do you expect to see, if we get to a game seven, do you expect to see good Kluber, great Kluber? Which Kluber do you think you're going to see? Good Kluber. I, I do think you're. Game one Kluber or game four Kluber? Because game, game one Kluber, Kluber was Game one really Kluber special. is exceptional. I mean, like, that's as good as you're going to pitch. Yeah. I, To be honest, game one Kluber is one of those that you only see, even the best starting pitchers are like that two, three, four, five starts a year. Like, they, you, you, you have to be talking like 99 Pedro to, <laughs> yeah. you know, or Maddox in the, uh, you know, in. 95 regular season Maddox you know in 95 <laughs> you know like you have to be and one of those all-time years yeah to see that more than a couple of times I mean again it's one of the things that when you see a game like 14 that 14 Bumgarner <laughs> when you see a game like that you just have to appreciate it because you know you're seeing something that you don't get to see very often I mean honestly 
now that we didn't appreciate it at the time, it really makes you appreciate what Bumgarner did even more because he makes the he has made the postseason. I know that you know he was gotten to by the Cubs in his second postseason outing uh, that he looked more mortal. But to see what he's done over the course of his postseason career in this era, when the tensions ratcheted up, ratcheted up, ratcheted up, and that he makes the postseason look so easy, it really is kind of remarkable. And it also should make you appreciate what Kluber has done. Uh, I guess I should give have more appreciation for what Tomlin's done. Um, but I, you yeah, know, he's he still hasn't gone five innings in in right. this World Series. Like, the bar should be held fairly high. I mean, not be, not for the win, just to get your team as deep in a game right. as possible. Right again, and that's what that sign. What the sign of that is is that they do not trust him the same way, and they right. shouldn't. They right. shouldn't. In August, he was really bad. Right. There, there's no. They've not developed. Josh Tomlin has not developed the level of trust that Corey Kluber and he should. And there's no reason he would have. I, I I will trade you know transition to another little idea from this and I wonder what you thought because we've had this discussion before we've had it on the podcast we've seen game in game out and it's almost not the umpire's fault but we now have the precision to what we've what we've gone from from 15 years ago to now is now when an umpire blows a call on a ball strike call we all know uh, we all knew. We all knew when Eric Gregg blew it. Right, with Eric Gregg, <laughs> but you had to be. It had to be egregious before. You didn't have the angle. I mean, like, but when it was close, it was something where you could argue it. But it, when it was bo- a borderline call, it was almost we expected. Have more precision now, yes. Whereas now it's something where you go, "Wow, he actually threw those five pitches were all in the zone, and two of them were called balls, or he really got away with them. That one was a good eight inches off the outside corner, and he still got the call." It, I, what, I, what I mean by this is saying is... I think we always knew that. I mean, we knew that, that this was the point of the entire Braves. This was talked about the entire breadth and width right. Tom of Glavin Tom Glavin's the, yeah. career. So it's, it, we have more precision, and I think we have a bigger speaker via social but, media that people but, talk about it more. But the, and and the we other, definitely have more group think and in the, the other, media. But the other thing also we have is, is now we, all, we do have an alternative that is talked about that did not exist 15 years ago. Correct. 15 years ago, all that could be said was the umpires need to be better. As soon as the game was over yesterday, uh, I watched a little bit of the Fox post game, but I switched over to MLB Network, and that's the first thing Eric Burns was talking about. He had oh, Eric, yeah, Bur- Eric Burns and Paul Severino were in the studio to basically buy time until they could get their studio set up on the field with mm-hmm. Amsinger, uh, Al Leiter, and HR. And um, and that's what Eric Burns was on, and that's because Eric Burns basically convinced me about robot umps on uh, Real Sports, HBO Real Sports. And uh, the postseason has just reinforced that. I mean, the real again, the real question for me with umpires is – what is their review process and what is the process of where they're graded over the course of a season? Are they basically rewarded for the postseason just because oh, it's your turn? Or is there actually some merit? And who's doing the grading? It doesn't feel like there's any merit it to does. it. It doesn't feel like there's any, oh, you missed this many calls and there's not any accountability the, for those guys. So, the, I mean, the, they never have to meet the media. How different do you think umpires would be if after a game like that, where the players are under that kind of stress, the managers are under that kind of stress, and everything they do is picked apart, and they have to answer for it, and the, the umpires never do. How different would it be if the umpire had to go after a game and talk, hey, you know, uh, StatCast had that you missed 15 balls and strikes last night. I think umpires' reaction to it would be totally different. I think being held accountable makes you better. Umpires aren't held accountable, so they don't get better. And, and I think you just hit on the other part of it, which is is that 
the guys who are put behind the plate to call balls and strikes in the World Series are not put behind the plate to call balls and strikes in the World Series because they're the best at calling balls and strikes during the season. That's correct. Now, and the that's, and that's the problem. And the interesting thing with that though is is that that is a different skill. If you said that the crew chief right is there because this guy knows the rules better than anyone and he, you know, and he's the guy who can get everyone together and make sure that we make the right call, that's fine. But that doesn't again, that's a different skill set than the skill set and Every single one of those things, to be honest, at this point, is almost, it's now reviewable. Right. If you get a call wrong on, well, that ball was down the line and you missed the call, it was foul, not fair. Right. We can fix that. They should have, but here's the thing, they should have always been reviewable. We have right. better technology that makes the, should make the review process better, but they always should have been reviewable. But instead, the process is one of lack of accountability, of closing ranks, Always defending each other, always spurning them any any scrutiny from the media, and I don't understand. I just totally don't understand why that mentality exists and why it's been allowed to exist. And I I have to imagine the reason it exists is that a hundred years ago there was one umpire and everyone tried to get one over on him, and if you could physically intimidate him, do it. And right. So it, we have it, these it anachronistic. Literally, it literally stems from like 1900 where. You know, well, the ruffians in Chicago exactly. really got on, you know, That's old right. Al, the umpire. Yeah, old John and, McGraw really got one over on, you know, uh, whatever. And so, by that, we do mean, like, they threw bottles at him and, so, like, you know, had to fight his way to the, you know. But the whole rest of the game is modernized, and everyone else is accountable, and these guys aren't. And I have very little sympathy for umpires, and uh, we should have Josh Norris on one of these podcasts to defend their integrity. But just the fact that they're not accountable le- is what leads to, that culture is what leads to, you can miss and be wrong with impunity. There's no recourse for either manager or any of the players. How is that how does that lead how does that process lead to better umpiring? I mean again, it doesn't. That, how can it? The, the 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 best thing that has happened as far as that was is when in the last ten years there has been an improvement from the standpoint of like there was more accountability. Because you remember, I mean in our time at Baseball America, there was a time where essentially it was there was almost no data that the MLB could go to the umpire and say, you, you, you need to right. fix this. At least now we do have, you're missing low and away over and over. You need to fix that. Again, is that, is that full accountability? No. Right. But it is an improvement over what we had. But it, the reality of it is, is that no matter, even if there was accountability, if it does come back to, there are going to be misses. Right. The problem we have is that really the most important part of the game in many ways is where there is more fallibility. It's just the fundamental, it's harder, I bet it's harder to call balls and strikes now than ever because of velocity, mm-hmm. period. And, well, not- and B, it's, uh, it's just a, it is the most, it's the building block of the game. It's the pitcher-batter battle, and you're an integral part of that, and... That part's not reviewed. That part's not. It's not reviewed to an extent anywhere near the rest of the game. There was a there was a pitch a, a missed call last night, uh, low and away. Indians up. I can't remember who the batter was now, but Indians up, and like basically a strike three, and it really wasn't. I mean, like when that happens, <laughs> it really remember. is game. It is game changing. Right. Might have and been the, Brendan Geyer actually. And it is game. Ch- it was a John Lester sequence that actually Burns went over in the post game. Of 
outside corner cutters, trying to get that outside corner over and over again. He missed, he missed, he missed. And then on the 3-2 pitch, a pitch that was maybe a shade closer to the plate, but not by much, was suddenly called a strike. And that was where Burnsy just kind of lost it. And to his credit, he didn't really lose it, but he was he was pretty frustrated with the home plate umpire. And it's, it's been consistent, but uh, to me, I, mean, I know that over the course of 162 games, it generally evens out. But in the postseason, seven it doesn't. Games, it, doesn't. it just doesn't. I so. mean, seven games, it doesn't. And the reality of it is, is that also, again, it is what it is. It's the rules that we have, and everyone has to deal with it and all. But there's also different pitchers who, as we just said, like if you have control, if you're a veteran and you have control, right. you get a call that you do not get if you do not have control, especially if you're a rookie who doesn't have control, you're not, you're not getting that call. Right. Again, it, that's one thing where that's a variable that you can't control, and it is different from pitcher to pitcher. No question. I did want to throw in one more thing. I know we're trying to wrap up a little bit quicker today. Uh, Brian Shaw has been pretty amazing in the mm-hmm. postseason. I wanted to bring that up. Um, this is, I mean, it's easy it is to a three-headed focus on. monster. It is. It's not a two-headed monster that we keep talking about. It is. I mean, he gave up a couple of runs in the division series uh, to the Red Sox. He gave up a couple of runs, one earned against the uh, Blue Jays. In the, in the World Series, he's given up one unearned run, but three and two-thirds innings, six strikeouts, and he's just painting right now, JJ. And you, you see confidence with a hitter. You can see a lot of confidence with Brian Shaw. And he's painting with anyone legit who, stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty much anybody who comes out of the uh, the Indians' bullpen. Uh, for the, good for the Indians. We haven't seen Jeff Manship in this World Series. I was going to say, the thing that jumps out is, is that – I mean, their depth seen, is way we, more. They're, they're much more confident using their three guys than the Cubs are anyone right. besides. Jack but the Moore. other thing that is notable is is that even though we essentially have Kluber and then everyone else besides Kluber is like, can you give us four? Yeah, please. Exactly. We're begging you. Can That's you give right. us four? Josh, can you give us four? Trevor, can you give us four? Even with that, we are seeing. We did get to see a Mike Clevenger sighting for right. you know a minute and a half yesterday, but. We are not seeing the depth of the Indians' bullpen. We're not seeing the five, six, seven guys. Yeah. We're seeing the big three. We haven't seen much doubt in Danny Salazar. We saw one inning of Danny Salazar. He hasn't exactly been a, a, a change maker being right. healthy for this series. But what we are seeing, though, is, is the top three have been really, really good. Yeah. Well, those top three guys on that bullpen and Kluber, those four guys have been outstanding. And then they've gotten, like, Danny Otero spackles over an inning yep. here. You know, they have, you know, again, then. Danny Salazar, an inning here. You, it kind of looks like a college World Series. You need four well, guys. That's what they. That's what they're trying to prove right now. Is to win a World Series, can you do it with four pitchers? Maybe five. And, and but, the answer maybe yes. And I would say the thing about this is that, and I do think this is a good way, kind of, to finish up on it. Because you know I've seen a discussion on there also. Why can't you do this more during the regular season? And I do think that there is a lack of appreciation for just how the off days of the postseason make this an entirely different game. Absolutely. Andrew Miller has been used pretty much to a level that (laughs) any game that matters almost, and they've got a lead, he's going two two innings plus. Yeah, oh yeah. And Andrew Miller, despite that, his workload for October was slightly more than what a normal month is. Because even with that, Andrew Miller is getting... Multiple days off in a way that he rarely does during the season. I didn't I mean, see. I didn't. I don't remember which reliever it was who did a. Danny Otero. Was it Otero who did really uh, media availability? Who said, "Yeah, if we were used like this in the regular season, we'd be burned out by April or May." Right. So, if you want to do the this, regular season, if you want to do this during the regular season, if you want to use Andrew Miller for two and a third, two and two thirds, you can. Yeah. 
But then you have to say, okay, we're not using you for two days. Yeah, exactly. And the problem you can't you have with that is is that during the regular season, you're playing 162, and game 112 matters as much as game 108. Yeah. And so over the course of that, you have to look long term and short term. There is no long term right now. Yeah. There's zero long term. Zero long term. So with that, you can do this. But again, the off days now, Aroldis Chapman was used to a level that he's basically never been used as a, a big league reliever last yeah. night. Aroldis Chapman's October was essentially the same number of innings as he throws during a normal month. For me, if... It's like 13 and two-thirds, yeah. I think, for October. We'll see We'll see if, what happens in game six. But if Arietta were able to go deep, he pitched very well, but very erratically and only went into the sixth inning in his first start in the World Series in Cleveland. I guess that was game two. Um, for me, if Arietta is able to go deep... Or if the Cubs get a big lead, and they, in other words, if they don't have to use it, rolled as Chapman much in Game Six, or if they don't use him at all, I would go to him as early as possible in Game Seven. And I mean, if you put him out there in the third inning, I'd put him out there in the third inning. Oh, what I'm I would saying, let a rolled as Chapman eat as much as he can eat. And you know what? You, he will. I let you, him eat in Game Six too. I'd be honest but, with you. But but especially in Game Seven, he will tell you that ninth inning last night, there was no diminishment. I would. Without a doubt, I would say that in the ninth inning, he was better than he was in the seventh. Yeah, oh no, he was electric. So, he saw Ramirez a second time, and Ramirez, like I guess he foul-tipped the last pitch, and that's as close as he got to contact. If that had been a tie game, not that he gave up the runs, but if that had been a tie game, there is no reason that yeah, you would have said, he can't go tenth. to the tenth. Absolutely. There's nothing that he was showing. And again, can you do that long-term? No. But if you're the Cubs and Aroldis Chapman, I, I mean, I hate to be just this mercenary about it but if you're the Cubs and Rolls Chapman is a free agent at the end of the yeah, year that absolutely four innings from him okay well let's see an inning four if he's still got it and you know what if he doesn't you got a guy you get a guy up at that it's, point if, if it's game six and seven you're trying to win your first World Series since 1908 in my mind every pitcher is on a pitch by pitch basis and the fact that the Joe team Madden, is greater, and there's no yes. like, well, you've earned this where you get and, another inning. And the fact that Joe Madden didn't have a reliever getting ready on a mound every inning, somebody has a ball and is on a mound. They're not throwing yet, but at the first sign of trouble, you're getting hot. And it's inexcusable to not have somebody ready for any pitcher in any situation because it's game six and seven. And I can guarantee you that Francona's got someone ready. Hell, he's got two guys standing around almost in the field of freaking play in the first <laughs> inning, which that's ridiculous. I know they're getting rid of those mounds, but that's ridiculous. How does Major League Baseball not police that a little better? Jason Hayward's chasing a foul ball and almost runs into two dudes. That's, that's just redonkulous. I mean, imagine that in an NBA game. Just just for example, you're running back down the court and you run in, say you run into a fan or you run into the to the coach, he sets a screen on you and the other dude scores. That wouldn't that wouldn't be allowed. Maybe maybe it would. I don't know. But would that, that that'd be, that's like in the old school Cotton Bowl in the 1930s where the dude came off the sidelines and tackled a guy. I mean, like that's that happened in the 1930s. That's not supposed to happen in modern baseball, in modern sports, and it almost happened. Apparently, it's going to not happen starting in 2017. Yes, yeah. exactly. They are getting rid of those bullpens, which is a, a good sign. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap with this. Eric Fisher of the Sports Business Journal. I follow him for sports business stuff. He tweeted that national figures for World Series Game Four: 16.7 million viewers, up 23 percent from last year. Best Game Four since 2009. Best Saturday World Series game viewership since By 2004. The way, yeah. And I'll see what the ratings were last night. He hasn't tweeted them yet this morning about uh, where game five was. Cubs on the brink of elimination. Uh, Cubs certainly bring a lot of fans to the yard. And then you also had uh, Sunday Night Football. 
Um, Good game for so, us. And, and you had the Cowboys, who were hot. Big national audience for the Cowboys. It'll be really interesting to see what the ratings were for last night, but it does seem like this World Series has been the best ratings-wise. So for the sport, very good to see uh, a a, a Game 6, and I would love to have a Game 7. I really don't care who wins this World Series. I'm rooting for a good play. It's the opposite of a tragic blimp World Series. I I have uh, good things to say about both organizations. Um, I could do without all the Chief Wahoo logos, but that's probably for another podcast, but... I'm glad we have uh, more to come, and we'll have another podcast after and, Game and, Six. And Matt Eddy is also happy because this means that we're at least two more days before minor league free agents are released. I hadn't even thought about it that way. But, <laughs> Matt, but Matt that, was actually Matt, Matt wanted more baseball than he's like. And the other good news is, is that two more days. This pushes back minor league free agency for two more days. But we also have to have an uh, international podcast with Ben Ballard, and we still have the Matt Blood podcast in the can. So those are all coming this week from Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. Review us on iTunes. Check us out at Baseball America. Also, oh, by the way, Google Play. I do believe you can also get our podcast on now if you're an Android. If you don't, if you're not a podcast addict person like me. So we've got uh, at JJ Coop thirty six to follow during the games. I'm at John Manuel B A. We'll see you in the next Baseball America podcast, everybody. So long. This concludes our program. Want more in depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.